0: This theme that is unfolding, that is going to be the theme of our practice period, the theme of refuge, because of a conversation I had with a group a couple of days ago, what came up for me is how we understand refuge in relationship to ancestors, how we take refuge in ancestors. I have the book. And Dogen actually... Tells us one way really clearly, in what we just chanted. Let's see if I can find it exactly. Okay, so here, although our past evil karma has greatly accumulated, indeed being the cause and condition of obstacles in practicing the way, may all Buddhas and ancestors who obtain, obtain the Buddha, attain the Buddha way, be compassionate to us and free us of karmic effects, allowing us to practice the way without hindrance. May they share with us their compassion, which fills the boundless universe, with the virtue of their enlightenment and their teachings. And it goes on. And then we talk, at the end talks about confession and repentance. So there's a there's a relationship right away between the confession and repentance associated with the karma of our lives and the compassionate coming forward of the Buddhas and the ancestors. And this is the way that we take refuge. One of the ways we take refuge. We might even talk about this in some ways as a relative way to take refuge. Of, um, I'm existing, I'm, I'm working with the karma of who I am, I'm working with my karmic conditioning, and I go to the Buddhas and ancestors to repent and confess, and sometimes that, that Buddha ancestral connection is represented between a teacher and student, which Dogen talks a lot about, but it can be represented by our relationship to the Buddhas and ancestors that we don't see right in front of us, that we know came before us. And so we speak to them about what it is we wish to renounce and what it is we wish to manifest, and we ask for their support. You might understand this as a relative. Dogen also talks about Buddhas meeting the actual transmission from Buddhas to Buddhas or ancestors to ancestors as being each one meeting reality as it is, that they become one Buddha and one ancestor. And this becoming one Buddha and one ancestor between a Buddha and another Buddha or an ancestor and a disciple points to Buddha nature, points to this teaching that each person is an awakening, a liberating Buddha that is being the world as it is. And when an ancestor is that, and a disciple is that, then they are one Buddha and they are one ancestor. And in fact, for Dogen, he talks about quite a bit, that the true realization of the way is the moment when that occurs. When there is an ancestor and there is a student, and they both meet reality as it is, which immediately means the student is now an ancestor and they become one Buddha and one ancestor, and in that moment all the Buddhas and all the ancestors become one Buddha and one ancestor because there is only one reality in this way when we talk about Buddha that is not to say that everybody's perspectives are mushed into one reality, this is just saying the meeting of life without grasping is the same liberation no matter our karmic conditioning no matter our backgrounds when we are not grasping that we are experiencing a liberation that makes that results in one's buddhahood that connects to the buddhahood that becomes one with the buddhahood of all ancestors this is what dogen tells us over and over and over and over again so in his fascic buddha ancestors he starts out Actualizing Buddha ancestors means to uphold and see them in veneration. It is not limited to Buddhas of the past, present, and future, but it is going beyond Buddhas who are going beyond themselves. It is taking up those who have maintained the face and eye of Buddha ancestors, formally bowing and encountering them. They have manifested the power of the Buddha ancestors dwelt in it and actualized it in the body. They have manifested the power of the Buddha ancestors dwelt in it and actualized it in the body. This goes all the way back to the first first teaching of the Buddha when he talks about the three kinds of knowing and he says that we have to intellectually understand it, then we have to dwell in the seeing of it over time until it is who we are, until the wisdom is the body. Dogan is saying the same thing. They have manifested the power of the Buddha ancestors, dwelt in it, and actualized it in the body. And in that actualizing it in the body, one becomes a Buddha that is one with all the Buddhas. So in Document of Heritage, and this is the fascicle I want to talk about here, The most. Dilgan writes, um, and this is fascicle 17 for those who are interested in the number. Since a Buddha receives Dharma from a Buddha, the Buddha way is thoroughly experienced by a Buddha and a Buddha. There is no moment of the way without a Buddha and a Buddha. For example, rocks inherit from Rocks. Jewels inherit from jewels. When a chrysanthemum inherits from a chrysanthemum and a pine gives the seal of realization to a pine, the preceding chrysanthemum is one with the following chrysanthemum and the preceding pine is one with the following pine. Those who do not understand this, even when they hear the words authentic transmission from Buddha to Buddha, have no idea what it means. They do not know heritage from Buddha to Buddha in merged realization of ancestor and ancestor. What a pity. They appear to be a Buddha family, but they are not Buddha heirs, nor are they heir Buddhas. The Buddha way, the ancestor way, is like this. Without merging realization and without Buddha ancestors, there is no Buddha wisdom. There is no thorough ancestral experience. Without Buddha wisdom, there is no accepting Buddha. Without thorough experience, there is no merging of realization between ancestors. So what's he mean by this last line? Without Buddha wisdom, there is no accepting the Buddha. Without thorough experience, there is no merging of realization between ancestors. Without Buddha wisdom, there is no accepting Buddha. Without thorough experience, there is no merging of realization between ancestors. So, it's a little confusing in the language, but I'll try to unpack it a little bit. What Dogen is pointing to is this thing that we often talk about as, the, in some ways, the paradox of transmission and how it relates to Buddha nature. And that is, is anyone teaching anyone anything? Did Bodhidharma bring anything from the West? Does a teacher have anything to offer a student? If all of us are buddha nature if all of us are manifesting buddha nature what is actually passed on what is a teacher doing what is a student doing this is dogen's big question when he went to china right this was his primary question was if we are already buddha nature why do i need to study the way and this question showed up for him in everything if we're already buddha nature what's going on with teacher and student what's going on with ancestors why buddhas at all why study with someone and this is where Dogen is very skilled at understanding karma and Buddha nature together there is still the karmic reality that we live in, that we're confused that we need direction, that we need to find ways, that there's a tremendous amount of stuff that are, that's hindering our ability to a um, tremendous amount of grasping that's hindering our ability to be liberated to live liberation. And yet, that liberation is not coming from the ancestors in the way that they might hand us a cup. It's arising as a being that is slowly being liberated through the practice of seeing one's grasping mind. The ancestor sits with that mind and mirrors the hindering so that it can flower, But the ancestor has nothing to give the person who is practicing for realization. Because were the ancestor to try to give something, if it were even possible, to the student, then it would only further cloud that realization. It would only further confuse it. It would only be more things to grasp. So the role of the ancestor is to support the student in their own renunciation and confession process so that they can come to the same realization that the ancestor came to and therefore become an ancestor and at that point because they're facing the they're they're embodying the same liberation they are one ancestor this is what and all of that said we have to rely on our ancestors there is nothing about the teaching that isn't from them it does not matter In some ways, this is why he starts off by saying, the very first thing he says before he gets into all this discussion about one Buddha and one ancestor, is actualizing Buddha ancestors means to uphold and see them in veneration. There is still the recognition that the ancestors brought us the teachings, that they lived their lives to bring us the teachings. So, when I was thinking about this, you know, one of the... um, for those of us who take it, who have taken up the path, and it, and we weren't born into the community of people for whom this has been the practice for thousands of years, we've taken up an ancestral lineage. We found our way to an ancestral lineage that um, that we weren't born into. Although everyone is born into the lineage of the Buddhas, regardless of, there is only the dharma of reality, there's not the dharma of Buddhism, at least from the way we think about it. The mind that lets go of grasping completely is the awake mind, regardless of what tradition it thinks it's in. But there is a, um, there's a taking up of this specific lineage of ancestors that goes back through Japan and through China and through India in our case. Some mentioned, many, 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 many not mentioned. That we take refuge in as the ones who kept the fire going and gave us the gift of the Buddha Dharma. But they're not our only ancestors. And how we understand ancestors is very different. And this is something that, when considering the Buddha ancestors, what it is to consider ancestry more broadly, and what does that mean for Sangha. Because we talk about ancestors traditionally, often we talk about ancestors in this very um, specific way that has to do with, I'll use the word as problematic as it is, blood relations, or genetic. Our ancestors that are the ones that gave birth to, gave birth to, gave birth to, gave birth to, and here we are. We see their faces, they see our faces, we see the same shape, we see the same features, we see ourselves. We hang their photos on the wall. We place their photos on altars. We speak to them, some of us. They are a big part of, let's just say they are critical for our being here. Without them, no us. That's one ancestry. None of us come from a single, none of us can easily reduce our ancestry to a single category. There is this blood genetic ancestry, but then we have ancestors that we might associate with ethnicity or what we might call a people. Now, sometimes those match up neatly with what we would call blood or genetics, sometimes not. In my case, I'm culturally pretty much completely what they would call Pennsylvania Dutch or or Germans that came here in the 16th century. But I have Irish blood ancestors, I have native Susquehannock ancestors, but they've all been subsumed by a German cultural heritage. So it doesn't line up in a clean way. There's this ethnic cultural heritage that is there too, that we either recognize, pay homage to, venerate, or do not. And then there's the ancestors we're talking about here, that Dogen's talking about, which is the ancestors that are associated with a conviction or a path or a religion. Sometimes they line up with the other two, sometimes they don't. And then here, here would be the Munsi Lenape and Mohican. There are the ancestral caretakers of this land. For most of us, they're not our blood ancestors. They're not our genetic ancestors. They're not our cultural ancestors. But they certainly, we certainly exist because of them. Without them, we cannot exist. We would not be. When the Pennsylvania Dutch located themselves in the Susquehanna Valley, which is where the York Lancaster Pennsylvania is, and became the that became the center, the cultural center of that German community. They were only able to settle there so early on because that was the center of the Susquehannock community that had been wiped out 40 years before. Not entirely wiped out, but basically harmed enough that they had to go join the Iroquois nation. They had to flee north. So there was already a settled area that European settlers who themselves were escaping violence came and settled there and were able to thrive. So there were ancestors of the land to them that had cared for the land and made their lives possible and therefore made my life possible. Forgotten, extinguished, dominated, harmed still today. So there are these ancestral caretakers of the land that we have to recognize if we are going to understand who we are. Each one of these passing, in the way that that, that Dogen says... A a rock passes to a rock, a chrysanthemum to a chrysanthemum. In every case, every kind of ancestral lineage we're talking about here, something of a heritage is being passed on. Then there's ancestors that that I would say are ancestors because of shared experience. Maybe this is somewhat in the, um, kind of relates a little bit to the conviction piece, but shared experience. In other words, they might, you think of people who... um, the history of struggle against racism, the history of struggle against misogyny. People who are the victims of those um, pathological social frames that share an ancestral lineage because of the struggle with that. There are ancestors who labored to make our lives possible, who may not be our blood ancestors, who may not be our ethnic ancestors, but they labored, many times unrecognized, oftentimes enslaved that made the country possible their blood and ethnic descendants still being harmed yet all of us every one of us are able to exist because of their lives and their labor and what they've done and then there's the ancestors of the land herself all the beings that our mother earth everything that has transmitted to us, everything that still makes our lives possible, all of these, every one of these, is a different kind of ancestral lineage. They should not be confused. We don't have rights to claim them all in certain ways. But they all, to use, to repeat Dogen once again, actualizing ancestors means to uphold and see them in veneration to uphold them and see them in veneration. And if we, for example, take seriously, I'll use two instances, those people who are our ancestors that that provided labor so that we can exist, those people who are our ancestors because they cared for the land before our blood and ethnic ancestors arrived, if we venerate them, then their blood and ethnic descendants who are being persecuted in a shared way, as they were, need to be cared for by us as our siblings. Because they are the descendants in a different way, very different way. These should not be merged or confused. But our ancestors' descendants are being persecuted. Our siblings are being persecuted. The people we share Buddha nature with are being persecuted. The people that we share liberation, potentiality for liberation, the reality of life, where there is one Buddha and one ancestor together, are being harmed. And if we are not able to recognize that, then we are not living out the veneration of our ancestors. We are not seeing the many ways we descend from all of these people who have lived in such a way that I can be alive. Our gratitude is inadequate. In this veneration, in this devotion, we talked about this before, the connection between devotion and refuge. In this devotion to these ancestors is how we can begin taking refuge in all of our ancestors. As we devote ourselves to all of these many ancestors, the words came up, at least this is my experience, we can begin to hear them. As we devote ourselves, we can begin to hear them. We can begin to hear them in the rivers. We can begin to hear them in our hearts. We can begin to hear them in the trees. We can begin to hear them in the land under our feet. We can begin to hear them in the wind. We can begin to take refuge in the ancestors that are our life. We have been trained, many of us, not all of us, many of us have been trained out of a life where we are walking with our ancestors. We have been trained out of a life where when we sit down to sit zazen, our very uprightness exists only because they are are sitting with us and holding that uprightness for us. The minute I think I'm holding my uprightness myself, I am quickly foolish, straining, neurotic, afraid. Only when I know when I am walking with ancestors is the courage necessary to face the reality of the world present, is the shared awakening that has been passed on present. You know, sometimes, (laughs) this is the thought that came up this morning that made me laugh. It's like sometimes it feels as if all of these conversations are happening between ancestors that I cannot hear. Which is little, it's like being a kid that isn't allowed to hear the adult conversations about you. And there are conversations happening about the life that I am leading, which has never been mine. And in those conversations, when I take refuge in the mystery of the conversations that are happening about me, I can trust the world completely. For some of you, this language makes sense. For some of it, it may not. It's okay. For those of us, for whom all of these ancestral ancestral lineages, which is rare, ancestors of the land, those who have labored, shared experience, caretakers of the land, ancestors by conviction and path and religion, ancestors of ethnicity, ancestors of blood, when those are all one, which for I think much of human existence was often the case, then that's very, very powerful. It's very, very clear. But histories of violence and war and colonization and hardship and famine and the list goes on, plague, has split those apart. And many of us are left trying to understand what it is to take refuge in A splintered ancestral lineage. But to listen to Dogen, the way back to feeling, both in the relative way and in the absolute way, feeling the oneness of Buddha and Buddha, what's been transmitted to us, the oneness of ancestor and ancestor, ourselves being ancestors in the making, is to begin with veneration is to begin with inclusion of our ancestors in our hearts and beginning to devote ourselves to them. To feel them walking with us. To feel their work in the land. And there's, you know, many of us come from very, very painful heritages that we don't want to um, maybe take refuge in. Dogen is very clear about karma, and karma being passed on. But what he's talking about here in heritage, the chrysanthemum to the chrysanthemum, the rock to the rock, the pine to the pine, there is a heritage that is sacred even so. Not to ignore the responsibility many of us need to take, not to attend to it, but also not to walk away, not to give into the societal voices that say, that my life doesn't go all the way back through history to the lakes and the mountains that gave birth to the people that over the generations bore me. Without that, we are just wandering. Without that, we grab for power. We grab for supremacy. We grab for stupidity. We grab for things that make us feel... We need to feel powerful when we don't feel contextualized when we don't feel connected. We need to feel powerful when everything feels shattered. So we find we, we work to find our way back to this veneration and to this devotion so that we again feel claimed. Because to not feel claimed by a people, to not feel claimed by ancestors, we don't even know what's missing when that's not present. We have had, many of us have experienced in this country having our cultures humiliated. And in some cases that has destroyed the cultures, in other cases it's actually made them stronger. It's bound them together. But whatever it is, whatever has happened, wherever we are in, in, the, um, in the ongoing efforts of our economic system and our colonial world view... We all came from indigenous people once. The threads of our heart goes back through that to our beginnings. It will be extreme and and in that connection, in my experience, there is no fight to be better than another people. There is no need to be supreme, there is no need keep others from being at the table because every being is emerging from Mother Earth's infinite variety we're all born of her I say this because partly I feel strongly that the world especially the world that um, is committed and I know some people get Upset with me when I talk this way. I'm sorry, but I'm going to. Um, a world where whiteness has destroyed that those ethnicities, attempted to wipe them all out, so that there can just be some separated version of power that I don't even understand what it thinks it is anymore. I think where that has happened, we have to shatter that worldview with our by by becoming again people among other people. Not people over other people. People among other people. People with ancestries and histories that come from beautiful lineages that have problems and but again are people among other people. And not only that feel that that's the case for the world we have to cultivate a sangha that is that way that the voices of many lineages, of many traditions of many styles, of many voices can show up I had a recollection today, it's funny I forgot this and as I was preparing for this I, um, it came back to me this morning in this very um, powerful way when I was in 5th grade so so Pennsylvania Dutch people, many still have a Germanic accent and we use a lot of words that aren't used in the, in, in mainstream English and um, I remember in fifth grade there was this whole period of fifth grade English that was aimed at getting out of us that way of talking. Like they would put words on the board that were Pennsylvania Dutch words and say, you shouldn't say this, you should say this. And um, I remember that, I, rem, I remember thinking, or, or starting to think at that moment, that there was something wrong with my grandparents, because they weren't talking correctly and they weren't talking in a certain way. And, um, and that worked on me, because for a very long time, I condescended to my own culture. It took me decades. To see what had happened and um, we do that all the time I've heard it in our sangha I've heard people scoff and laugh and condescend to other cultures and other expressions and other ways of being and other traditions and we if someone hears that they don't know that you're not going to turn around and do it to them and so then we all receive we all recede into this frightened place of non-expression. Now, I don't think this is rampant in our community, but I do think it is something that is insidious and we need to attend to because if we are going to become Buddhas, if we are going to be liberated, self-hatred cannot be a part of it, not in the end. Encouraging one another's self-suspicion cannot be a part of it. We have to encourage the celebration of one another's traditions and lineages. Not the violence of them, not the supremacy of them, not the obsession with power, (coughs) but what is beautiful about them. And that will be hard to discern because there has been so much trauma and there has been so much difficulty. In the meeting of our many traditions historically this is not easy it's not just oh give a dharma talk and now we have it it's going to be conversation after conversation it's going to be feedback after feedback but i do have such faith in this community that this is possible and if we can find a way then maybe the world can find a way so i'll stop there and um i want to hear from you all and I'll just say one more time, a Buddha, actualizing Buddha ancestors means to uphold and see them in veneration. It is not limited to Buddhas of the past, present, and future, but it is going beyond Buddhas who are going beyond themselves. It is taking up those who have maintained the face and the eye of Buddha ancestors, formally bowing and encountering them. They have manifested the power of the Buddha ancestors, dwelt in it, and actualized it in their bodies. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.